Hi everyone! Before we start the show, I wanted to ask that if you like what we're doing here, you might consider donating to keep it moving onward and upward. We have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon and a PayPal at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. $5 at Patreon will get you bonus episodes, but even a dollar helps more than you can imagine because no cartridge is funded by listeners like you. Thank you. Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbond on Twitter, and I'm happy to have with me today. Um, you know, we actually haven't. This is this is funny. Uh, we never really introduced uh, ourselves. Um, uh, maybe you could introduce yourself to me, and then I could also introduce you to the audience because we've mainly talked online uh, by way of talking about about the show. But um, uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Let, let them know who you are. Hi, I'm Chris. Hey, Chris. Hi. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so my name is Christopher Bell. I'm in the New York, New Jersey area. I am a filmmaker on the indie side, but I mostly uh, I do other work to pay the bills. And I like video games, and I like this podcast. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I actually I was um, I was just looking through uh, your Twitter today, and I was really uh, I was really enjoying the way that like you know our feeds kind of complement each other i guess i'd say <laughs> um yeah no i just i liked a lot of the tweets you had up the retweets and stuff um it seemed like wait did you did you fave them though i don't know did i not fave them i don't think you did uh well sometimes i worry about being a lurker this is like <laughs> this is really getting into the into the meat of it so like you know sometimes i'll lurk on someone's timeline but i won't fave the tweets because it seems like a little strange Oh fuck! Wow. Faved in my heart, though. Yeah, I have like uh, these weird, dumb insecurities about Twitter too. Should oh probably, yeah. Like log off. I guess. Hey, well, I think that if you don't have weird, dumb insecurities about Twitter, then you're probably not using the same website. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, it's it's my pleasure to have you on. This is this is really fun. Um, I'm glad we could we could start talking because of the show. But yeah, definitely, you, you can say it again at the end of the show. But Chris's Twitter is. <laughs> At the news whiz, so at t h e n e w s w i z. No, no, it's good because you also have your um, your films in in the bio. Yeah, I'm sorry, I never heard anybody say the news whiz like there out loud. Um, so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, no, this is great, and you're here to talk to us today about. Um, and this is actually something that, strangely, I don't think I've covered on the show yet, which is. Um, Surprising, considering the people I've had on, but we're going to talk about uh, JRPGs, uh, just kind of as a general genre. So let me start off by asking you, because I have, you know, I have my own history with JRPGs. I think, you know, 
it's one of those genres that a lot of people of a certain age have a history with because, you know, especially for like the Nintendo, Super Nintendo era, um, that was just like, if you wanted to play an RPG, you were almost always playing a JRPG. Um, uh-huh. but what's your, what's your kind of history? What's your, what's, what, what brought you into the genre? What are, what are some of your biggest hits? Yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this today where it was like, now it's a little different, but back in the day it was easy to get entranced by an RPG because it was so like, like story mm-hmm. heavy, which you didn't get really for a lot of other games. And I think that's what drew me in. Although it's funny, I'm pretty sure my first RPG is I rented Dragon Warrior, okay. you know, but on uh, Dragon Quest on a whim. I was like, you know, really, really young kid, and that's not really like story. Yeah, it's, it's probably not really good for a young kid either. Uh, it's like not, not <laughs> well, a lot of fun. It. Really? I mean, yeah, I liked it. Um, and that, I remember playing that, like very, very vague memories, and then I the one I remember really getting into was uh, Shining Force okay. or uh, Genesis. Yeah, that's a classic one. So, so yeah. you really had like you were sort of on the because I, I feel like this is the truth uh, that not a lot of people talk about. You were sort of on the generous Genesis uh, arm of of JRPGs, where I was firmly on the uh, the sort of Super Nintendo arm of it. Um, mm-hmm. No, um, I was really spoiled, so I had both. Oh well, there you go. Um, yeah. Well, that's like. Actually, I never really played um, most of the fantasy stars until, like, high school when we were doing emulators, so I went back and okay. played a bunch. So Shining Force and Shining Force 2, I think, were the only things I had for Genesis that were RPGs. Okay. Yeah, Genesis RPGs were... were they always felt a little more bespoke or strange. Uh, fantasy Star and Shining Force um, kind of stand out to me as being quite unique. Um, whereas something like, I, you know, Chrono Trigger is, was long my favorite game, so this isn't a slight, but it kind yeah, of yeah. fits more into that, uh, and fits more into a tradition, that, and like the Final Fantasy games and that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Um, I think all the Genesis games, though, were kind of weird. Yeah, that's kind of you true. You know, they all have that. Yeah, that's actually its own sort of thing. I've never really known if that was just me, because I also had a Genesis, <laughs> but it was sort of like my less played system. Yeah, same. Yeah. Maybe we're just like maybe we're both spoiled, but we don't really know what we're talking about because we we the Genesis <laughs> was the redheaded stepchild. Uh, <laughs> Genesis had the better version of um, Captain America and the Avengers. Yes, it did. That was a lot better. And um, Genesis also the um, I bought the the doomed Sega CD, and the that had probably the best console version of uh, Final Fight. Which is kind of damning with faint praise to just say that, but yeah, because you could actually be Cody and Guy mm-hmm. in that one. Yep, and yeah. and Hagar, and it, the graphics were were up to snuff with the arcade. It was excellent. Mm-hmm. Going back to it on like the Super Nintendo, and especially the Nintendo, was disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that game oh, good. hold up. By the way, it does. It does not. Oh, it does not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I figure a lot of those beat 'em ups don't sort of like I don't. There's a whole genre of game, and I, I guess this is our way back into RPGs, because RPGs are explicitly not this, but there's this whole genre of game that, like, is so clearly driven to make you spend quarters. Like, some of them, like, um, uh, Bullet Hells or Shmups or something like that, are, like, 
you know, I, you can get really good at Ikaruga or whatever and not have to spend a bunch of quarters. But I don't know how you get really good at Final Fight. Like, it just feels like you get hit every so often and you just have to fill back up with quarters. And I, I don't know why for so long that was something that translated into sales on consoles. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the... Um, maybe it had to do with the arcade, you know, because you would see it in the arcade and then, like, oh, I can have this at home. Mm-hmm. And it was just a thing of, like, you know, couch co-op playing with your friends. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and a lot of people on the show recently have been saying that they're... They miss couch co-op and couch um, competition, uh, which I find pretty interesting because I definitely do. But I thought maybe that was something that was, again, of like a certain generation. But it seems like across the board. Uh, so maybe maybe they're due for a comeback. Um, yeah, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> sort of my girlfriend. Yeah, my girlfriend and I try to play games together, but we don't really have much to play. That's why mm. I mentioned Gears of War before, I guess, before we started recording. That's a great we co-op game. Yeah, it was really fun, um, but like we don't really have a lot of options to uh, play together. So yeah, it's sort of sort of frustrating that way. I mean, and actually, the funny thing is, I think you know the popularity of JRPGs kind of come out of this, and maybe this isn't historically right, but it seems to me to me um, that the popularity of JRPGs came out of kind of that same frustration. Not that like there wasn't a huge multitude of options because there was back in the day, but that like there's there's this sort of impulse of wanting to share something with your friends or people you played video games with that was continuous. Cause like a lot of my favorite times playing JRPGs were like, I played like Lufia two with a buddy of mine. I would like go home after school with him and we play like three hours of Lufia two. Um, uh-huh. and it's just like super gripping. It's not, I'm sure the story is not all that great or anything, but that experience of playing it with someone else was so was so enjoyable because it was that narrative and it was that sort of like the way that it kind of plotted on and on and built on itself um, in the way that those those sort of like branching JRPG plots do. Oh yeah, huh? I never thought about that. That's really interesting. Now my friends and I would not. I think we got made fun of this fun of for this <laughs> in college, but we would just hang out and play different games. But we would always like we'd be playing RPGs, so like. Mm. You would sleep over a friend's house, and then, like, I would be playing, like, Vandal Hearts, and maybe my friend had beaten it, maybe not, or, and he would just be playing, like, whatever he had on, like, Game Boy at the time, which would be, like, a Zelda or maybe one of the Saga games. Sure. But I don't know if we ever played an RPG together. I used to, one of the things I used to do with, with my best friend was, like, I would, I would go over to his place, or he'd come over to mine, and we'd play RPGs like I know we played it all the way through Final Fantasy if I'm gonna get the wrong number here either 11 or 12 whichever wasn't the well, MMO um, yeah. yeah and you know getting all the bonus material and stuff but the um, it wasn't every time we'd play it we'd just talk the whole time it was essentially like um, I'm, I'm just editing a podcast now that uh, an episode now where, where this analogy comes up but I think it's really useful it's like if you you play darts and there's you're with your friends and you're playing darts in the bar and um uh the game of darts is there and you're all kind of focusing on playing it but it's it's sort of just there as a pretense to have a conversation um yeah and in that way that's how rpgs worked for us um and and they were great for that because of course like any more investment than you know the repetition and grinding of an rpg and you couldn't really have a conversation yeah that's true so RPGs for you though, are, like it's a more solitary thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I play alone. Um, I mean, you know, my girlfriend will watch. No, no shame in playing alone, man. You're, you're with friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, my girlfriend will watch me sometimes, and uh, some of my, you know, old childhood friends still kind of keep up, so be like, hey, you should check this out, you know, or we'll talk about the game that we both played. But yeah, it's pretty solitary. I never got into any of the MMOs, like the Final Fantasy MMOs I haven't played. I'm really kind of scared to. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go down that road. Sure. Um, but I am kind of curious. It feels stupid having played like all the Final Fantasies except for two of them because they're <laughs> online. And it feels stupid to feel stupid that I haven't played these two long video <laughs> games. Like, why does that make me feel stupid? Right, um, yeah. I mean, that's a very that's a very old... It's a very, like, old lizard brain thing, I think, for, like, people who grew up with video games. Because, like, there's a... Especially from compared from then to now, I mean, there's such, like, a, a difference of scarcity and a difference of value uh, w- with games. I mean, just from, like, a commodity standpoint, you think about the ways that, like, the, the cartridges themselves, like, represented... At times, if they were rare, I remember like looking everywhere for Secret of Mana, for instance. Oh, yeah. Um, and like the, these cartridges could be like these like incredibly valuable things, um, beyond their monetary value or like sold on the secondhand market for, for much more than they were worth because everyone wanted them. Whereas now, like, you know, obviously the Steam marketplace makes that practically irrelevant. And that's not a bad thing. Obviously, like marking up video games and making them. Um, luxury goods is is not good for their artistic value necessarily, but it is kind of this interesting thing where like I definitely feel a sense of guilt for not playing certain games like Earthbound. I never really played Earthbound, um, and I feel a sort of sense of guilt for that, which is you should, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like it's just kind of weird, right? Like it's it is weird to feel a sense of guilt for that. Like I don't feel I, I don't feel a sense of guilt for not reading Ulysses, for instance, but I do feel a <laughs> sense of guilt for not playing Earthbound. Yeah. Um, and I, that's, you know, more relevantly, I guess, to this, I don't feel a sense of guilt for not having played Outlast yet, even though it's on my list and I know it's sort of like a contemporary classic. I, I don't feel nearly the sense of shame that I do with Earthbound. And I don't know. I don't know if it comes from that scarcity or not. Yeah, well, Earthbound's an interesting... Um, I, I think that's like a particular, particularly special kind of game you reference because it has such a fan base mm-hmm. surrounding it. And sure. it's like it's known to be, you know, really, really unique. And yeah, I love it. I guess. And also that, that leads into like undertale and stuff like that. It it sort of has a very particular cultural cachet right now. Yeah. 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 And I, I think like, so let me, let me push you on that a little bit. So like you, you really like earthbound. Does it to you, is it unique or does it speak to something about the genre of JRPG? Cause I, I feel like for a lot of people, Earthbound is this really unique thing, but not in the way that, say, a, a game like Res is unique to rhythm games, where, like, it's its own deal. It's, like, out, you know, in a different orbit. Earthbound sort of fits into a tradition for a lot of people. So for you, is that the case, or is it just, like, is it its own weird thing? Earthbound is really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, just within the JRPG, like, milieu, mold, whatever you want to say, um because it's basically a riff on Dragon Quest. You know, the the systems are are fairly similar. And uh yeah, so the the humor's really weird and it's always there. It's always like not taking itself too seriously, like it's fairly silly 
but there's like it uses the silliness to get at something like a different kind of truth than like kind of plainer writing mm-hmm. get at mm. um but it does like it does a lot of unique things that it does it does things on like different hands so like something i was thinking about earlier that i don't know why you know to this day rpgs still haven't picked up is that like in earthbound if you go back to an area where you're way stronger than the monsters or like a little bit stronger or whatever you won't get into a battle like there are battles on the field and if you encounter an enemy it'll just like blast and be like you won you won't go into battle you automatically win because the game doesn't want to waste your time with you fighting these like you know things that you can take care of in a couple hits so you just get the experience you get the money and that's it and i don't know why that other games haven't picked up on that um persona 5 sort of does that and like in like this dungeon you can visit continuously throughout the game but i haven't seen it in like many games at all um so that was like kind of unique so they did things that push the mechanics like in a progressive way that for some reason people didn't you know feel like uh building upon or stealing or whatever i mean that's odd in itself there's like there's a whole series of cues that earthbound produced that people didn't really steal or didn't really move on um, I guess, like, if I were to hazard a guess, it would be that, like, that era of uh, consumer, or that era of, not consumer, but producer, probably thought that Earthbound was in some ways, like, too Japanese. There was something, like, too sort of, like, idiosyncratic about it to, to play for Western audiences. It's like, I don't know, like, I guess thinking about some of the, the cues that are muted in games like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy uh, 3-6, there's, like, there's a way in which those muted cues are a lot of what makes Earthbound so interesting. Um, and I wouldn't say they're specifically Japanese, but I think there's like a way that the market then, not knowing what it knows now, might read some of those weirdnesses or strangenesses as like just sort of like, oh, that's like, that's culturally different. Yeah. It's weird because I think Earthbound is most like consistently has a lot of like, you know, and quirky is such a bad word nowadays, <laughs> but it, it was, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It, it, it had a lot of, like, quirky, funny, cute, creative things in it that kind of, like, it always felt good. It always felt like, you know, it was just pure joy you were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of RPGs had that kind of, like, weird dialogue where it was, like, looking back to you know, the heyday, which is 16-bit, and it's, like, because of the limitations um, with, like, cutscenes, with the uh, 16-bit sprites, with the amount of dialogue they were able to fit in a box because of the translation, Mm -hmm. you had to kind of fill in the lines, and sometimes you would end up, like, reading into something that, like, doesn't really make a lot of sense, but in its own way would become weirdly poetic because, right. you know, you have funny lines like Final Fantasy IV would be, like, you spoony bard, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you know, and that became an internet joke. But there's also, like, lines, you know, and I can't quote any, but because of the way, like, it had to be translated, ended up being, like, I don't know, it would give you a different sort of feeling as opposed to, like, now when everything's, like, you know, very polished, very written. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we're, we want to talk about today or I want to talk about with you today. There's a way that 
what seemed so natural back in the 90s and you know early 2000s probably up through i would say final fantasy 10 would have been maybe the height of it this idea that like that was the series of rpgs that people played and like that was a, a always like a very big genre and like a very big video game event and you know maybe it still is um but there's a way in which that that that's like a little bit muted now a little bit less um and i wonder if that's because like the newer games give access to the whole the whole experience in a way that like might be i'm trying to think of the right word for this and when i say embarrassed i don't mean it in the in like a typical way i mean like almost like you're given too much or you're given too much access um you're kind of like too much is revealed i guess um and the player is like embarrassed by i don't know what they only had as implications in in the super nintendo games now just like completely shown um in in the cultural milieu of contemporary rpgs Mm. yeah i don't I feel like that would have to be like, uh, like if that were the case, it would kind of be like subconsciously. Mm. Cause you look at, it's kind of like every game now, now that games can just have stories across the board, like doesn't like one of the like NBA games have like a story mode, like a campaign mode and there's like cutscenes and shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I, like, one of the first games I talked about on, um, uh, actually, the first game I ever talked about as an interview on this was um, was the the Ring of Honor game that uh, Suda Fifty One uh, cut his teeth on. Um, mm-hmm. So, like you know, narrative narratively uh, beloved Suda Fifty One first sort of game he wrote was a um, a narrative in a, in a wrestling a pro wrestling video game. Oh, had like a totally weirdo dark ending. It's back. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to it, I think it's like episode fourteen or something. But it's with Alex Navarro and. Um, the the whole point of the the game is the story mode of the game is you rise to fame and all sorts of tragedies happen and then you you win the you win the championship and then you um, three days later uh, with nothing left to to fight for at all uh, you end it you kill yourself um, so it's it's Whoa. bizarre it's yeah it's intense um, I mean yeah all that stuff is interesting I don't want to knock like a sports game that has a uh, story mode I'm just saying like you know, like I said before, back in the day, it would be like RPGs. You would go there for the story, and now everything kind of has that. That's a really good and point. And the way they do it is just like maybe you know, there's you know, coming at this from like a filmmaker or liking film, maybe they do have some interesting like ways to show the scene. But I think pretty much often, more often than not, it's just kind of like standard like standard they're they're showing the two characters talking and it's like cut a little dramatically but it's nothing mm-hmm. like sort of inventive it's kind of just like it's very regular very normal cutscenes, and um you know there's there's still like pacing and performance and all that stuff but in terms of how it's shown it's kind of just like yeah of course it would be shown like that where we're watching the characters and it's close up here and all that stuff yeah as um you know again for like 16-bit stuff it'd be little sprites so you'd sort of have to read into it and you'd sort of have to be like you know you look at the care they put into like oh here's an animation i've never seen before and it's so much more meaningful because it's only used in this one scene whereas now it's kind of just like it's just regular it's just like you know golden age peak tv kind of regular except it's a little bit goofier because it's video games i don't know (laughs) Right. No, it's, I mean, that's a really, really interesting point. I think, like, are you familiar with the, um, and I'm only familiar with it by reading about it, so I'm going to, if anyone does it or did it, 
in the audience, uh, I'm going to seem really um, parochial. It, the the sort of the thing called like um, I guess it's called uh, machinima or machinima. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you, are you familiar with that? It's like a YouTube channel. How it's it might be now, but like the the initial idea I think predates YouTube, where like basically uh, people would take the character editor in, um, in games like Quake. Uh-huh. And uh, make little short films with the characters in it. Oh yeah, I read about that a long time ago. Was that like with the Halo thing, like Red versus Blue? Mm-hmm. That's a version. I guess that's yeah. I guess that's sort of like a contemporary Makinima for, for sure. I've never actually thought about it that way, but you're right. Okay. Um, and then like even earlier ones are these really sort of like um, to sort of make give it a cinema um, analogy. It, it really reminds me of like outsider cinema or maybe. Um, Maybe like some of the weird early um, experimental cinema, um, where like it just kind of feels like someone found or I mean, like even like some of those. Um, oh, I'm not gonna think of what it's actually what the what the film's called, but like some of the early Kenneth Anger movies um, mm-hmm. that feel as if like someone had a lot to say and found like a camera and maybe figured out ways to say it that were different just because they didn't have like formal training. Right, right. Um, and I might anger might have t- all the formal training in the world. I'm not I'm 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 a film person only uh dilettante uh <laughs> no, style. I don't, no, I, I yeah, yeah. But the um the machinima sort of come across that way, which is which is bizarre to say because they're just like quake avatars running around <laughs> from like quake one and two. Um but I think what you're saying really like kind of helps me understand why that is because like there is so much built into their expectations of how an audience is going to react to a particular sprite doing a particular thing in a particular way, um, which is so much of more of a layered response than say, oh, that's clearly, uh, you know, that's clearly Doc Rivers coaching my character that I came up with the create a character like face recognition thing. Um, this is just like watching a movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fascinating because, of course, like, that's kind of one of the ways that the increase of technology or the advance of technology has made it harder for video games to stake out their own position in the world of expressive art, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just, like, how new is this? Like, how mm. new are they, like, how long have they been at this and where like is this the growing like the growing page like the baby stages where they're like trying to do this and i'm not saying i don't enjoy stories and like modern rpgs or other games now i'm just like coming at it from like as like a film watcher and yeah. a filmmaker it's just kind of like they're not going as interesting they're not using the aesthetics of a cutscene, i guess in ways that i find interesting Whereas back then I feel like they were able to do it with like very simple animations. Um, yeah. And I guess like, I guess the, the idea of growing pains really makes a lot of sense for me there. Cause if you, I mean, if you think about some of the very early stuff, like, I don't know, like even Lumiere brothers, uh, uh, shorts, you could see a sort of focus and framing that kind of disappears, uh, from some more popular film until they kind of get past the, the grappling you know, whether or not they want to be a spectacle or whether or not they want to be a narrative or what the difference is between the two things, you know, past, uh, probably past, like, um, well, probably even into, like, sound film or close there, thereof. Probably the place it really kind of 
coalesces for me is um is with like uh, Chaplin and Keaton and and that that group. Um, it sort of kind of comes back around for me there. But I mean, with video games, it's the same way. There's like there's a very I don't know Spartan atmosphere to even like some Atari games. There's like a melancholy almost. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually I self promotion. I'm not shameless though. I'm not ashamed. Yeah, don't be ashamed. Uh, yeah, I put that in my feature, uh, The Winds That Scatter. I put, like, an Atari, uh, God, I forget, Firestorm, I think it was called. But nice. it's, like, it's in a kind of, like, a sad scene, and the guy's playing it. And, uh, yeah, it's fucking sad. It's really, really sad. Yeah, and, like, there's, like, yeah, there's a sadness of, like, it's, like, a sadness of not being able to say something or a sadness of just, like, being limited. I, I, can't, I can't quite tell. I don't know if you have a better read on it than I do there. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I mean, I kind of come at it from like, my jam is slow cinema, so mm-hmm. it's cool. a lot of it's like, um, you know, holding on something for a really long time, which people find frustrating. But you know, part of that technique, not the entire reason for it. You know, there are other reasons to do it, but one of the reasons is like the kind of Brechtian alienation thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're you're staring at like this old Atari game that is very primitive, very simple, with has with, that has this little like blank character in the beginning, you know maybe for you and me it's sort of like melancholic nostalgia, if that even makes sense. Uh, you know, judging up those kind of memories of like playing it. But yeah, I don't know what it is like. It just felt right yeah. to me like included in there and I can't really figure out why that is. I think there are layers to it like Atari layers and like Atari the company and Atari like as like a video game system and all that but yeah. in terms of like the image itself I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I guess there's I mean there's there's a way in which I, I like I like the way you used Breck there in that like there's a way where Breck's use of alienation and I always just cuz I'm like this is just where my brain's at all the time when I get into into theory. Like it, it, it Brecht's version of alienation always pairs with me with um, Marx's version of the commodity fetish, where like Marx's whole point uh, about the commodity fetish is that the the whole idea is things are fetishized when we look at a shoe and don't think about the way that the shoe was actually manufactured. So like you know I look at my shoes and I see things that I could wear. I know where I could buy them or whatever. Um, but the thing I don't see or I don't even think about is the chain of um, production that it took to make my shoe, the people who made the shoe, the conditions they're working in, the sort of places where the raw material was, was collected, um, the conditions in which that's harvested and all of that sort of falls away. And instead I see like, Oh, that shoe is $30 and that shoe is $40. There's like a whole sort of like taken as red, the ecosystem of shoes. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's all. That's Marx's whole thing about the commodity fetish. But it reminds me a lot of of Brecht's alienation because or alienation effect because like there is a way in which like being exposed to something helps break down that fetish. Being forced to like think about it for a long time helps to break down that fetish. And you know, there's there's this. I think in some ways like nostalgia or the production of nostalgia is itself the fetish. Like being able to look at these games and be like, yeah, you know, I remember being a kid. I remember loving this. I remember doing all this is the fetish and then like actually not experiencing it through like loot crates or whatever, but like really experiencing it, right? Like actually playing the game again 
and noting all the flaws and all the hiccups and the ways in which it's boring and the ways in which it's like sometimes fun or sometimes not fun. That maybe is like the emotional version of like, oh, you know, time has passed. This was an object in a series of objects. I don't know. That would be my version of the melancholy anyway. Yeah, I guess that's really interesting. But I guess like another like maybe a flip side to that would be like Mm -hmm. admiration. But it's, you know, you're a little bit removed from it. Mm. So you can go and admire that being like oh, this is how they were able to do this. Or, you know, kind of like, okay, so, you know, if you were to play, like, um, a Super Nintendo thing with the uh, SFX chip or, like, yeah, the, right, or like sure. the Starbox, you're, like, coming at it as an adult where it's, like, okay, maybe you know, like, what they did to achieve that. And you can kind of look at the game and appreciate it in that sense. Whereas, like, you know, the Wonder of playing it as a kid is gone. You know, it's not fun anymore. It's a little too difficult. So because you were, you're forced to look at it in a different way, maybe you can use that to appreciate it on a different level. I don't know. Mm, yeah. The, the idea of context, the sort of like taking it out of its own context, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's fascinating. I guess like, so this actually leads me to the question of modern, modern RPGs too. Because, like, there's a way, there's, I, I use this phrase too much, I'm sorry, um, I don't know why I'm apologizing for it now, we're, like, uh, 50 episodes in by the time this, this will come out, and I, I have used it in every single episode way too many times, but there's a way in which the older video games have a kind of accepted cultural cachet, and are accepted as, like, these, these, and you think about it, like, Keats is Grecian urn, right, they're, they're these objects that are expected they're expected pieces of reflection for like a certain group of people uh of a certain age of like a certain proclivity right like people have hmm? the can yeah a ken that's a good way of, yeah that's perfect um yeah a certain ken um like they will have an opinion about it they'll have a feeling about it right mm-hmm. um but modern rpgs don't really have that that luxury and they're still trying to do some of the things that those older RPGs are doing. They're trying to like build upon that form as it's understood in video games. And, and you were saying, so let me ask you, are you still, are you still like invested at all in modern JRPGs? Yeah. Okay. My time is much more limited now. Yeah. As, as, yeah. As, as we've all found out, like I think like with, with the, with a kid, I found it's very limited, but like even without, a kid it's basically like you don't have you don't have those endless days where you could just play 15 hours of a game for no reason at all and then yeah. you know spend your time leveling up to beat ruby weapon or something that's <laughs> like not not a thing you can do anymore as easily yeah which makes me sad you know i wish i got into mmos like back when i had the time i guess <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i'd waste a wish on that you but, might you might you might have ended up like yeah that might be that might be a monkey's paw situation yeah that's true yeah, you know, okay, so I went to college and I sort of fell off a little bit and then I graduated. I had a film degree, but I couldn't find any work, so I was a security guard. And then I ended up moving out and moving on my own. I was like really trying to make the film thing happen. And um, I'm in a better spot now, but okay. back then I was like super confused and I still kind of am. 
but I was like super confused as to how to like make a film and how to get it there. And it was just like the social aspects of it were really difficult and confusing. And I was just like, maybe it's time to bring video games back into my life because I needed something just to kind of focus on and to kind of, you know, I don't want to say escapism, but I wanted to be able to appreciate, to play a game, to have fun, to be able to appreciate what it's doing and having that not be a movie. Like, you know, basically mm-hmm. finding a new hobby that's like sort of removed from movies, even though it's like kind of not at this point. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, so I was playing, uh, so I've been just been in catch up like ever since. You know, that was like <laughs> five, six years ago. And so I played Bioshock, and then I was like, you know, I really love. I I would I would still play like old RPGs on like emulator like here and there, but I was like, all right, let me see what they're doing now. What what's new? So I'm keeping up, sort of, but it's it's really difficult. Um, and they're like 50, 60 hour games. So I've played. Uh, recently, I've played Persona Five. I finally beat that. And um, okay. I'm going to play one of the either Final Fantasy 15 or 12 at some point soon. Um, so yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. It's like you yeah, know, it's hard. Yeah, only a couple hours. It's absolutely like, every week to do it. Yeah, one one of the, the the one game that I've had on my list. I I thought about getting Tales of Zestria, which was for a while like seemed to be like a JRPG that people were really mm-hmm. into. Um, I ended up getting. Uh, Oh, what is that called? It's not called God Hand. It's called... Um, I'll like edit out these clicks. Um, it's called... Oh, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to find it. It's this weird like PSP game that's like kind of a Monster Hunter game, kind of not, but it's very anime-ish. Okay. And oh, God it said, Eater like, it was, like, or something? God yeah, Eater. Yeah. That's right. God Eater. Yes, yes, yes. So I'll just keep that all in because it's now <laughs> embarrassing to me. But uh got to say... <laughs> There you go. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, you know it looks really cool, but it's like you, you look at it and you're like, this is not only is it God Eater 2, but you get God Eater 1 for free with it. So it's like this is 80, 90 hours of, of content. Yeah. And I'm sure it's interesting in its own way, but it's like, can I really justify putting 90 hours into a game? And I guess over time I can. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like... For me, so I play a couple hours probably every week, and um, you know, aside from that, it's just like, what's my life? Like, my life is going to work. I have to like generate my own like art, if you would say, like scripts and, and making mm-hmm. my own movies and stuff like that, and then spend time with like friends, girlfriend, all that, eat, sleep, whatever. So it's like, how much time do I really have for video games? Right. And my choice is fucking, you know, JRPGs, which Persona 5 took me like eight, 85 hours. And, you know, I pretty much loved it. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, this is the life I chose. 85 hours is like, from what I hear, I haven't played Persona 5 yet, uh, largely because I don't have a PS4. Um, although I'm sure I would have other excuses for not having finished a 90-hour campaign <laughs> uh, if I did. Yeah. But uh, uh, 85 hours seems like seems like pretty good. Seems like you made a good clip. Yeah, which is surprising because I'm not a person who goes and does like uh, like I'll never do DLC. I'll never like I don't I don't really even like talk to everybody in the town anymore. Like I don't do any of that mm-hmm. shit anymore. I'm like very much I want the meat. Like I just want 
to go through the story and experience it that way. I can respect that. Yeah, but for that one, I mean, the Persona games, the newer ones, they're kind of like encouraging you to make friends and stuff, and um, <laughs> you get stuff out of it. It's fun, and that's all I want is is fun. So I did end up doing like quite a bit of side stuff, or I think I don't know the the what you would say is side stuff in the Persona games are kind of like incorporated into um, the main story because you're going day by day, so it's kind of like you have to wait for the real story to kick in, and then you can do other shit in the meantime. So okay, I don't know. yeah, that's that's so interesting. Like for there's there's a lot of questions I want to ask, but the the one just that comes immediately is this question of fun versus and and maybe like in addition to is the better way to say it uh importance right mm-hmm. so one of the things we talked about before we went on the air was the difference between uh JRPGs and I guess I they used to be the distinction was CRPGs uh but probably just like you could say just as easily like Skyrim or Fallout style RPGs yeah um more americanized uh or american uh, built uh, Western built RPGs mm-hmm. because there is like quite a difference. And I wonder, like, obviously there's a distinction between the kind of fun people are having with both. Like the, the persona open world, the persona plot is different in a lot of ways than the Skyrim open world and the Skyrim plot and Skyrim sort of like even more procedurally expects you to talk to people in the town in much the same way an older elder scrolls game might even like the 2d ones. But I wonder if they. I wonder if you would think there's like a difference there between the importance of the two genres as well. Because obviously you're you're approaching this, uh, you're approaching this as a filmmaker in some of the same ways that I approach it as a critic. Um, in that, like being a literary critic is not an easy way to get a job, <laughs> as it happens. And uh, and video games in a lot of ways are this out for me. They're a way to like sort of do something that's tangential but also fun. Um, and that tangential part is the interesting kind of messy part. Uh, so I wonder if that messiness, if that tangential quality of like, this is important to me while it's fun as well, is there for you with uh, those sort of like more Americanized RPGs or if it's just in JRPGs for you? So I, I guess I would come at them like differently. So I would mm. be like, you know, they both probably have growth systems. Like, I feel like that's probably what we mean when we say rpg they have that kind of like you have stats you have levels and all that shit yeah i think that's probably the 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 dna of it yeah i will play skyrim eventually <laughs> uh you know my friends are into it my girlfriend's really into it uh if we ever get a switch i think that's the way i'm gonna actually end up playing it be a really fun way to play it actually i like i did it on xbox 360 when my daughter was born and like baby sleep patterns are such that I could never get any work done. So I would just game <laughs> while my wife was at work and I was watching the kid uh, when she would have naps. Skyrim's great for 15 to 20 minute bursts. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll do that eventually. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just the whole, whatever, the kid <laughs> thing, Skyrim thing. Yeah. It's the same basic, basic commitment. Yeah. Another hundred hour like thing on my play. <laughs> yeah. So I would come at them differently. So what I really love about, uh, Japanese made RPGs or like RPGs made in vain of like Japanese RPGs so you talk about like Undertale and stuff like that maybe Undertale wasn't a good uh, that that might not fit with what I'm about to say but um okay. <laughs> you know broadly like what I like about them is um there's, there's a real charm to them and there's real yeah. like uh, 
companionship like you know you and your comrades are going and you're going to save the world or you're going to like take out this you know shitty ruler like this this emperor mm-hmm. or whatever you know and that's like that's really simplifying it i don't want to be i like i actually like these games you know i'm not making fun of them no but I mean, that, and i think that actually i mean in a lot of ways i think what people if i can just like sorry to interrupt but I, like the i think like you know begging off a little bit on undertale i understand it but like that's part of the reason why i think a lot of people enjoyed undertale uh certainly one of the reasons i enjoyed it is that it it was very self-aware but it also played into that element of it kind of shamelessly or, or openly mm-hmm. i guess would be the way to say it where like it really like if you took the peaceful path in undertale it played up the fact that everyone was fighting for the same thing and like people would would sacrifice themselves to help you and, and you know that that whole like classic feeling of an rpg yeah yeah i mean so yeah i guess undertale does fit because you are making friends along the way they don't join your party in that same way that i was going for but right it's there and i think that really appeals to me i think it's like very emotional yeah there's there's tropes that a lot of them have there are character stock types that a lot of them have i don't love everyone i've ever played (laughs) but they can be really effective and i really i really like that i really like having like this team of people and they like they bicker they seem like friends and uh so the tales of series is kind of like that great standby uh game series because they're never that different they're always like pretty much the same there's like little variation on them but like it's a it's a really good comfort food and what i will say is that they do it really well they do like the party interactions and stuff like that really well so you feel like these people really know each other and like they're interacting and like learning about one another and they like build off of their shared history like later in the game just in their like little interactions Hmm. and i think the game series does it really well and i think japanese rpgs as a whole for the most part you know they're shitty ones but i think they do it really well and you're not going to get that kind of thing in you know a non-japanese rpg i really love fallout 3 and um it's just like i'm looking for different things so fallout 3 like i will the way I played that was like I got out of the uh, vault and I just walked around and I ended up in like the Nuka Cola factory. I didn't know why, but mm-hmm. I knew that if I like killed these bugs, I would gain a level and gaining a level always feels good. And when you gain a level in that game, like you get all these other goodies with it. So I was just kind of exploring and then eventually like I figured out like, oh, I can go to this town and then I'll talk to people and get quests and stuff like that. Right. So I'll do it. You know, I think that game, like, kind of really, you know, you're supposed to, and I'm going to get stuff out of it. I'm going to get, like, EXP and stuff like that. So it just really depends on, like, the vibe I'm getting from the game and stuff like that. But I'm not going to do, like, extra stuff just to be a completionist. I'm not going to do that if it's just for, like, a cool weapon, but I could beat the game anyway. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'll beat the game. You know, I'm sort of, like... I think it, that kind of stuff is built into a game like Fallout, and it's not so like whatever. It's open world. Like I'm just describing like an open world, <laughs> open world, as you know, as opposed to like uh, an RPG, not open world, whatever you would call it. Yeah, I mean that's like a, that's a, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but it seems like a very film. Um, seems like a, a a filmmaker's eye in a certain way, um, in that you're sort of not looking for 
everything, but you're actually looking for the frame of the game at the same point. Yeah, I mean, I want to... I guess I'm looking for that narrative. I'm looking for, you know, like how they're going to pull me in and how they're going to keep developing uh, the story and and what they're going to do. But, you know, there is still room to my heart for, like, uh, an open-world game. It's just... It is very overwhelming, and mm-hmm. I can like only do so much of it. But at the same time, it's also just like I guess I'm fine with certain Japanese RPGs feeling too similar. But if it's an open world and it's just like, oh, I'm doing this again, it's just like the world map looks different. Yeah, that I'm kind of like I'm more opposed to for whatever reason. I wonder if it's because. I wonder if it's because, like, uh, you mentioned the Tales of series, and, like, I know we want to talk about Zillia 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I remember playing one of the Tales of Symphonia games. I think that's the one I played the most of. Um, and, I mean, there's this there's this quality in that game that I think you're right to describe it as emotional that really is, is missing or intentionally missing from a lot of American open-world games. You know, Fallout doesn't really want to push you to feel something for a lot of characters and that there are moral choices or sort of like difficult choices or whatever, but it's not so much about, it's, it's always tinged with satire, just like, uh, you know, from the first two games, it's always sort of like this kind of nihilism that undergirds some of your choices or, you know, false or dying optimism or whatever. Whereas in, in the Tales of series and a lot of Japanese RPGs, there is this sort of unvarnished emotion that I think is like not as common in other genres at all yeah i mean pretty often it like veers to very cornball territory yeah it's it's um, it's, um it's uh what's the word um it's maudlin in a lot of, yeah. a lot of times yeah yeah but you know you can earn that you know like you can fight mm-hmm. for that be like oh wow okay you got me like i'm feeling like emotional and uh you know had no idea i would feel this way but here i am yeah that happened to me of one of the one of the it wasn't the Persona game. It was like a Persona adjacent game. Mm-hmm. Um, now people are going to be yelling at their computers at this point, but uh, uh, or they're I guess probably they're not listening to this on a computer. Uh, but um, uh, one of the one of the Persona adjacent games that it was good. It was a fun game, and I, I beat it. But like it, it was a fairly typical game in a lot of ways. And the ending was super emotional and caught me totally by surprise. Like one of the characters like sacrificed themselves, and I was like genuinely touched. In any case, the the reason that I bring it up is because like the um the final moment in it was like super impactful. Like I really I really like got something out of it and I wasn't expecting to get out of it at all, at all. Like it was sort of like it was a fun game, it was interesting and all, but it wasn't deep. And like the final moment of sacrifice in it was like I felt kind of silly and 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 disarmed cuz like I felt actually like genuinely emotional about it, which, you know, really took me off guard. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, like, I think I was saying earlier that, like, sometimes I feel a little embarrassed playing uh, JRPGs now because they're so heavily emotional and, like, very. And maybe you can say a little about this because you had an interesting thought about the art um, elements of anime with this, but they're so committed to that anime style of, like, again, unvarnished emotion that it can be a little embarrassing to play as an adult, but it also produces these moments of, like, connection mm-hmm. that you know, are otherwise absent from video games. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is the aspect of, like, 
certain games leaning too much into fan service territory. And what that means is like TNA. Yeah, sure. You know, of um, that I don't need to see that anymore. <laughs> but like you're not you're not really there for that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've moved on. No, it's just like I don't know, whatever. Yeah, they they kind of they end up doing that. Uh, you know, not a lot of them, and and that's kind of a shame. But uh, you know, there is something like because they're leaning on anime stuff. I think they can still be. You know, anime can be also dark and mm-hmm. deal with like serious stuff, either on the surface or you know, kind of like in a subtle way. But it does feel like maybe. Uh, we're talking about like playing them in public or something like that. Maybe I do think, you know, I think we're both in our thirties. So I'm kind of being like, am I going to be the guy who's like 50, 50, like still playing like a Vita, you know, on the, on the commute? Like what's that going to look like? Yeah. I remember, um, watching the first episode of, um, and people might get mad at me for not watching the second episode. I liked it. I just never really followed up on it, but, uh, of a Hunter X Hunter, Okay. On uh, on Hulu and like just trying to get back into anime because that's something I've never really been able to re reignite um, from when I was a teen. But I liked it, I enjoyed it. But I was watching it on the train <laughs> and then I realized it was on a shared Hulu account with my wife and I was like, "There's like a lot I, w- I I'm gonna have to explain if I keep this habit <laughs> up. Like I just this is this this is too much work." Yeah, anime is actually a lot worse with like the fan service and stuff. You know, hmm. probably obviously. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of doing the same thing where I'm like dipping in here and there and like sometimes i'll see stuff that like is really refreshing and i'm like oh this feels good i'm glad i'm like giving this another chance and you know a couple weeks ago i was like sort of suffering through a series like just watching in the background at work that's just like boobs in your face you know like a talking like little mole who like runs around and becomes like an important character at the end good which actually kind of sounds interesting now that i'm saying (laughs) But um, <laughs> it's pretty tough uh, at the end. Yeah, it's it's odd. Like I I guess like one of the things I'm really grateful for you for bringing up though is this question of and I mean this is this is a gendered question. It's a it's a it's a question about age and 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 all that stuff. But it's interesting because I, I would have never thought about it because I'm sort of on the older and uh less less sort of like precariously gendered end of it. But the question of you know, the question of why these things are kind of embarrassing for us or, or why they're hard for us to watch, like, you know, what I don't know if it's so much for me, like, like, and truly this is a question, it's not uh, loaded, it's it's a question I didn't realize I needed to ask, was like, I wonder if it's not so much like the images or the, the fan service and that kind of stuff that embarrasses me, but actually like the emotion that embarrasses me or like the, the sort of like open feeling of it. It kind of feels like, you know, almost too raw something that you have to consume as a teen in some ways Mm. yeah that's interesting uh i never really thought about it i mean i i guess when i say like maybe it's sort of embarrassing it's kind of just be be like the perception is that this stuff is for kids and it's like why the hell am i like engaging in it or something like that but also at the same time it's just like i'm completely fine you know i'm completely fine with like if some you know i live in in new york new jersey so if like some tough guy like bro sees me playing avita with um you know card captor sakura on it and wants to say something it's just like 
I don't know, man. I'd like just made a movie. Like I'm, I want to play video games on the train. Like I don't give a shit. Like really. Right. Yeah. No, it's not like embarrassing in that sense. Hmm. Cause I'm completely confident. It's just like, I'm not wasting my time here. I just did something, whatever that was really hard to do. So I don't, I can play a video game. I'm fine. Now I get to do something easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. No, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I think like, yeah, there's, there's something about, I, I talked to one of the one of the flashpoints of of this podcast thus far has been uh, the episode with Matt Chrisman, uh, where like we talked about like the negative impacts of video games, and people have like people have gotten in touch with me and been like, yeah, like you know, it's it's really interesting because I feel like I should stop playing video games, but like your work is so interesting, like you know, I don't know whether I should defend them or not, and you know, one of the defenses I think that immediately comes up is Matt's argument about video games was something like, yeah, you know, they're these false socializations that allow us to or sort of like present us with this choice or seeming choice where like we can be part of a community but we're actually not part of a community we're just becoming more and more isolated mm-hmm. but i think like even more than that it's like video games allow us this especially sort of like the frustrated creative class creative and intellectual class especially frustrated in 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 today's environment there's video games allowed for these like discrete tasks and I've talked about this a number of times but like discrete tasks that like feel good to finish and are finishable like of course you come to the end of a film and you you produce it and you put it through but I'm sure in some ways um, as a creative endeavor it, it never quite feels finished like there's always things you wish you could have done or w- things you have to sort of like let go or at least for me when I write something big I have to let it go at some point there's never any done there's just done enough yeah. And it's the opposite with video games is there is a done. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that being a point and like I get his point because it's like it's it is that false sense of like I just accomplished something. Yeah. And um not the last podcast you put out but the one before that we talked Oh with uh with uh, with with uh, Lena, right? Lena, yeah, About yeah. quitting video games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she kind of said something like that too where it's like oh I have all these hours in this MMO, what do I have to show for it? Like who the fuck would ever be like who would want to know about this? Mm-hmm. that I sank hours into. So yeah, I definitely see their points and like I think the problem that's funny the Matt Christman thing always comes up and I guess people got upset over it. And yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean he's he made a lot of really great points and I agree with him but it's just not how I use video games. It's not it, it doesn't really that's not how I engage with them. But mm-hmm. um if you got if you go on like uh a Gamergate-esque kind of person's like Twitter page. It's oh like, yeah, that's how they engage with it for sure. Yeah, it's oh my god. Yeah, like you know, you can't not say that Matt doesn't have like a really good point because that you read what they're saying and it's just like they're in a whole different world. Mm-hmm. But I think you you key into something really important there, and I want to pivot from here into into Zillia. So because we, we're we're at an hour. Um, which is awesome, but I also I don't want to I don't want to go so far that we don't talk about that. Right, right. But uh, I think you you, you key into something really interesting there with the distinction between use and engagement. The idea of using a video game for something, which I completely understand, and like there's there's a kind of like use value to it uh, to dip into Marxism again, where like the use value of it it differs for everyone. But I think for a lot of people, it is this relaxation, this centering, or this you know. Um, disassociation from any other stress that you're dealing with um, a simpler thing like i said like frustrated creative class intellectual class i i think for a lot of us it 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 helps the idea of engagement though is this other interesting 
I don't know, responsibility maybe where you have to, uh, at least for me, and maybe, maybe it's not the same thing for you, but for me, it's like, I feel on some level, like these games are trying to do something that I find aesthetically interesting. And there's like, even, even like a little game, if I'm just playing it casually, sometimes there'll be a moment where I'm like, oh, you know, I should think about this a little more. And doing that sort of seems to be a different choice than than using the video game. I think that's like a really a really fraught decision between use and engagement. What stopping yourself to think oh, about? Yeah, I mean, the, just the choice to engage, right? Like we all use video games, but the idea of like, do you have a um, responsibility or even like a call to engage with it? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's tough. It's it's a, I think it's a good habit to kind of get into to kind of like peer into these different art forms you're engaging with Mm -hmm. because it's not the norm at all you know you don't think like you're taught in school like you read books and like that's it but you're not taught like to dissect like a a movie or a tv show or oh absolutely not yeah like in college yeah but you don't come up like in elementary school and stuff like that being taught to do that so it's just like it's kind of mindless and you're like, was the story good? You know, that's all you can go off of. And look, if you read TV show recaps, they're basically all plot recaps. So oh, heaven help you. Yeah. Don't even have that now, but are getting paid for it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you have to kind of stop and, and it could be something really simple. It's just like, oh, this game plays well. I admire the care put into that. I really appreciate it. Thank you something like that i'm not sure like i really get lost in them in the way that like i think maybe matt said or like some Mm -hmm. of the i don't know unfortunate gamers do Mm -hmm. um whatever you know that are in that do it in a bad way or negative way i think i mean i think there's like you know the one thing i'll say is i think there's a i think there's a negative urge to lose yourself when like you don't have healthy uh healthy like or adult or sort of like developed let's say to to not stigmatize it in any way uh um outlets right like with video games are your only outlet ever there's a way to make them so important that they become outsized and i think that that's probably what happens there that kind of like deep deep engagement i will also say though i think it's really interesting what you're saying that like you know when i started doing serious video game criticism it probably didn't quite align with, but it nearly aligned with my TAing a film class and starting to think about film seriously in an academic context too. Mm. And I think like the project of thinking about popular media seriously is a really important one. And one that, you know, as you say, um, is not really accomplished by way of uh, recaps and grading episodes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of, where we're going where we're like maybe it's just easier and like we fall back on it but i do think it's just kind of like just endlessly reproduced because we're we're all watching tv we're all keeping up with it we're all like keeping up with like the recaps the next day and stuff like that and then you see people start to do their own and it's like exactly the same Mm -hmm. just maybe some of their like little jokes are in there and not like the other person's jokes right and it's not really I mean, I guess it's, if it's, like, a confusing show, it's, like, kind of nice to... You know, you guys were talking about Game of Thrones. Sometimes it's nice to read up and, like, oh, yeah, I missed that. Like, yeah. I'm glad I read this little recap. But it, a lot of them don't really, like, aren't engaging 
with it in um in any way you know forget like an interesting way right but whatever you know here and there you'll see something i always had like for years had a lot of trouble finding like good game criticism like interesting no i feel the same way which is why like whenever i find one such as your podcaster you know yourself it's really 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 nice but i don't get that a lot with like japanese rpgs too much so it's hard for me to find that that's a perfect prompt in some ways tell me a little bit about and actually i just realized so people uh before i prompt that People voted to to do for me to do a movie uh, podcast on the on the uh, one episode of a movie podcast just as a, a change of pace film podcast. I'm gonna probably watch a few films that I haven't seen and and, and talk about them. But I should I should have you on to talk about at least one of those uh, with me because uh, I'm just okay. gonna I'm gonna probably end up watching. Um, I think I'm gonna end up watching Stalker. I don't know if you've seen that. Tark- uh, oh hell yeah. Okay yeah you got to come on to talk Stalker with me then. Because that's one I haven't that's seen and right. one that I've been meaning to see for a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, totally. Sweet. Um, You're locked in now, though. You're locked in. That's it. Oh, uh, no, I know. I wouldn't ask if I didn't that's want me. to. No, it's like that's a, 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 a... I've known film people who who will who will live and die by that film. Um, so I'm excited. I almost taught it, but then I realized it was like four hours long, and I was like, I can't I can't justify this much <laughs> class time. Yeah. But anyway, the, the prompt I had was... Um, or I wanted to prompt you to say... Given all this stuff about like seriousness and 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 thinking about stuff in in sort of ways that go beyond recaps, um, which I think is actually something that's very it's an interesting way to think about think it's an interesting thing to think about in conversation with uh, JRPGs, which so often people remember in terms of recaps themselves. Tell tell us a little bit about Tales of Zillia too. Like, why does this game maybe as like a maybe as like a nice cap to the whole thing? Why does this game sort of work for you as a contemporary JRPG? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it like over, you know, something like Persona 5 or something like that. But I was just kind of like, I was really struck by how interesting it would, like the the places it would go. So it's a direct sequel to Tales of Zillia, which is about... God, how do I do this? Uh, <laughs> you can do so it real tale. quick if you want. <laughs> no, yeah. no one um, will kill you over it. It's a you know, it's a typical tales game, which means like it's very anime. I think I saw someone call call the tales series anime the JRPG, which <clears throat> you know I wouldn't say they're wrong about that. So uh, you play as you can choose between this dude who's a doctor or this woman who is the like a human incarnation of a god. Hmm. And, um, yeah, you meet friends along the way, you beat the big bad, all that stuff. And uh, I guess it was popular enough that they made a direct sequel. So the direct sequel RPGs doesn't really happen too often. They did it with um, they did it with thir- Final Fantasy thirteen. they did it with Final Fantasy X, and... Um, they usually get a little weird. Like that's their thing. They get a little weird with the direct sequels. I would say X two was a little weird. That was a, yeah. That was a, that was an interesting game. Yeah, I actually I played that recently and I liked it a lot. I um, never like I I remember thinking I would hate it and then um, playing. I never played a lot of it, but played a little and I was actually pretty impressed by it. Yeah, it's really, it's just a lot of fun and like I think that game is like squarely ooh. Uh, you know, particularly about friendship. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I think there's like a little like a third game too within that that's also like very much about like the friendship between these characters but anyway back to Zillia too so you are a character that's not part of the first game and you can so there's like a prime universe and a ton of like little offshoot universes and your character is a guy who can go in and destroy them okay Hmm. and uh, so what happens is I think you're on like your character is on a is going to a job interview so he takes the train but then the train gets hijacked and uh, you meet this little girl but then you also meet one of the dudes from the first Zillia and he joins you Okay. and at the end the at the end of this uh, set piece event whatever the train crashes and you wake up and you're at a bar and like I think there's another Zillia character and eventually like you're just like recruiting all the Zillia characters and your your main mission is to collect these things to finally kind of get rid of all of the other little sub dimensions if oh, I remember correctly. Yeah. But um the whole thing is like at the when you get into that train crash, you are beyond like fucked up. Mm-hmm. And your medical bills are huge. And you find out that this uh the CEO of a corporation paid your bills. He took care of it. So now you're in debt to him. So you go through the game and it's like, okay, you work for this guy now and he sends you out on little missions. And all right. So as you're going through the missions, you'll get like these little like pop-ups, these little dialogue boxes. And it's really like shrill character being like, Hey, like you owe money, you know, one of those things. Right. It's, It's insane. And, you have to pay off this debt with the money you're making by like killing monsters and stuff like that. Like the regular way you would make money in a, you know, Japanese RPG. So interesting. Yeah. Before you can progress with the story, like you'll do an event and then like, you'll have to take a train to like the next town as the story tells you to go to, um, you'll hit like a paywall and it's like, well, you owe this much and we're not going to let you, use the train until you pay off this amount. Hmm. So that kind of struck me, you know, like the, the idea of like whatever, you know, medical debt, like a CEO paying off your bills and then putting you into debt, the kind of in game, uh, micro transactions or like it's a play on micro transactions. I found really fascinating. And just like the paywall, the fact that you had an in game paywall. Yeah. Um, was really unique and I was really hoping to read something about it like some analysis of it or some appreciation of it and I didn't see one and that was like such a bummer so I'm kind of doing my part now to uh, talk about it yeah it sounds great it reminds me it's it's funny it, um, so sweary 65 the guy who did um, deadly premonition and uh, d4 I don't know if you're familiar with his work he's yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's he's very strange. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He quit gaming for a while and became a monk. Um, came back. He's doing his own thing now. He's uh, crowdfunding his next game, which is cool, and it's called The Good Life. And he, um, it's basically about that though. Like you are a person from New York, and you amass all this student and medical debt, and you have to work to pay it off. And that's the game. Like it's a debt management game, um, slash I guess murder mystery. Uh, but I find it super fascinating that a lot of people are thinking about this. It's just so 
it's so great. I'm gonna have to play. I'm gonna have to play Tales of Zillia too now. Uh, I may I may even skip the first one uh, to get there. Yeah, um, yeah. The first one was good fun. I remember enjoying it a lot. But the second one, I kind of like. I found it. I don't know. So it 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 has that kind of mechanic that I find really interesting, which is mm. the debt and like all that entails, and then the way they do it, which is like as I said you get these pop-ups every so often and it's like it's a dialogue box and it's a like a person from the bank being really annoying about it <laughs> and right. um, it felt really true as you know a person with like debt of my own like student loan debt and having friends in debt and stuff like that it felt really like it didn't make me want to stop playing the game but it was just like this is this is unique this is something that I've never seen before in a game mm-hmm. and as a sequel it's kind of there's something strange about how it kind of like you do your own thing you know like your story for the most part kind of has nothing to do with the like the zillia characters that make up your team like you're the only new character that is your team like Mm -hmm. you don't get any other new characters you like the rest of your party it's all zillia people fascinating yeah they kind of like you know, they're in your party, so they're part of the story, so they're, like, talking and, like, you know, they're voicing their opinions, they're helping you out and stuff, but, like, at the end of the day, it could have just been anyone, like, it didn't, it it doesn't need to be in their world, but it is. Hmm. So, they have their own stories, which are, like, you know, the doctor, like, you you can make choices for the doctor, like, it has like there are like consequences and this like a sort of like a branching dialogue kind of thing with all of the characters. So if you're really into them, you can like see how their like story continues. And um, that's actually not too bad. But I thought it was kind of fascinating how they made this direct sequel, but the characters from the original are side characters. Yeah, essentially, it has nothing to do with the prequel. Yeah, you don't have to do shit with these people. You could just like play with them. And I was like, oh, that was like that's kind of a clever way to do it, I guess. Um, it's it's sort of fascinating because it's like a uh, it's a way to get in this sub game that could never get published uh, by including these these set pieces that make it popular. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of how some of those direct sequel games would would you know, operate or like they should, you know, yeah. this is definitely a case where it happened. Um, and you know, like tend to like, could be like goofy and silly and do like, I don't know, strange things. Yeah. It's whole like and, Charlie's angels sort of approach to, to the art. I mean, that was so different then. I mean, this is like, yeah. a, this is a pre Bayonetta world we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they would do that, but yeah, Zillia 2 would be, like, because of the different um, dimensions and stuff, you would be meeting or, like, recruiting characters that weren't necessarily from the original Zillia's dimension. And hopefully this doesn't sound too confusing. But um, you actually get a couple nice moments of, like, dealing with just identity and, like, what that means. Like, mm. a character you know from the first one acts differently... And she doesn't exist in the second one, but you can get her in the second one, and you can get a different version of her and see how they interact. And hmm. so there's that part of it where you know you would want to 
play the prequel and I'm not like being super fan about this. I actually think that it had one of those moments. There's like one of those emotional moments where I was like, Oh, I thought this was like just dumb fan servicey callback thing, but it actually uh, made me feel something and said something about identity that like kind of snuck up on me. So huh. yeah, the game does cool shit. And, um, you know, I don't think the Tales series really gets a ton of respect. I think it's like comfort food, which it is. But yeah, this weird side sequel did a lot of uh, things that I don't normally see. Huh. And for the most part, did them pretty well. Okay, I'm into that. That's uh, That sounds amazing. By the way, in case anyone uh, was wondering, um, I figured it out a little while ago. I figured I'd leave it to the end of the podcast. Uh, the game I was trying to think of was Digital Devil Saga. Mm. Digital Devil Saga. The second one. So, you know, just in case anyone was really, really wondering about that uh, weird interlude a while back. But no, I mean, that sounds fantastic. That sounds really cool. I'm going to have to try it. Well, thanks so much for being on. This is this has been a blast. Do you have any final thoughts, things we didn't cover? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Nice. Give JRPGs a chance. Yeah. I think I think if anything, this podcast has convinced me that I should I should, you know, get over some of my prejudices and 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 give them a chance again. Like I I uh, I've given every other game a chance again. I stopped gaming for a while too, and mm. you know it's time it's time JRPGs got a fair shake. <laughs> yeah, no, I do think that there was um, a period of time where like people did kind of turn their backs. On, I mean, there was that whole like Phil Fish thing where like Japanese games suck. And um, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. he really meant RPGs. You know, I think he meant Japanese RPGs. I think that's what like the sentiment was for a long time. Um, but they have, you know, gotten better. They have Im- improved in in certain like uh, game, like in in the game mechanics. Like they're not as slow um, as they used to be. So uh, yeah, I encourage I encourage everyone dive back in. You know, take a chance, give them a shot. You know. Let's uh, let's get it. Let's get their numbers up. Let's like, let's start a revolution. It's time. <laughs> so, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? Uh, good question. Yeah, so I'm the news whiz on Twitter. I have a Vimeo page. So yeah, my Twitter bio. You can you can see uh, my films and stuff like that. Links to it. I'm on uh, Vimeo. Vimeo.com slash uh, Christopher Jason Bell. So I have a ton of short films, and uh, the trailer for my feature is there. And my feature is available. Um, it'll soon be available on a bigger site, and I guess I can't say which one <laughs> yet, but um, right now you can see it on uh, directly through the distributor website, which is uh, Kinoscope. So kinoscope.org, K-I-N-O-S-C-O-P-E dot org. Well, listen, man, I, I have no qualms. Congrats on uh, your big partnership with Google.com. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> the biggest website. It's the best. Uh, nice. Well, that's that's really exciting, man. That's that's really cool. I look forward to watching your feature. Thank you. Hopefully everyone does. <laughs> well, I mean, it's getting this broader release probably. That's, uh, that, that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, please come back again. Um, especially if I get a chance to play Zillia, I'll, I'll have to have you back on to talk more about it. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I really appreciate you letting me come on 
And uh, yeah, you know, after listening to your podcast, it was weird to be able to talk to your voice, and now it's definitely not. So yeah, so if everyone wants to wants to really demystify my voice, just uh, just get in touch. We can work something out. Uh, I'll I'll make sure it's not super weird to talk to me in person. <laughs> um, all right, thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Peace.